Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. The past couple of weeks, we've talked about Paul, we've talked about how he was an encourager for many, and how he inspired many to be encouragers as well. We've talked about what we need to do with the gospel that's been presented to us. We have an obligation as Christians to not keep the gospel for ourselves, but to spread it amongst the nations. And this morning, we had seatbelts installed in the pews for you, because you will need to buckle up today. Because we're going to talk about sin. And we're going to talk about how we are all sinners. We have all experienced sin. We will continue to experience sin because that's who we are. We are sinners. But there is hope for that sin because we know that the Lord sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for all of that sin. All of it. Past, present, future. It doesn't exist in God's mind, thank God. But Paul is going to address this this morning about sin. And I want us to read. So if you actually, if you'll stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree to those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It has been in the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let his word be honored this morning. Sin is not easy to talk about. When asked, when we talk about sin, is it easier to talk about sin when you don't know God or when you do know God? Even though we know 
Sin is dark. Sin ruins lives. And sin will continue to be a part of our lives until we free ourselves through that, through the knowing of our son, Jesus Christ. God's judgment is sure. But however, God's forgiveness is just as sure. Paul spent the first 17 verses in Romans chapter 1 speaking of these new believers, of their common salvation, and telling them that he's not only thankful for their salvation, but he's also grateful for their evangelical spirit. Okay? He's also looking forward to the mutual encouragement he knows they'll be to one another. Paul was kind of foreshadowing all this to them because he knew what was coming. Paul knew what was coming. Because while we like to talk about the good things about God's love, how he saved us, many churches, many leaders don't like to talk about why we're sitting in these seats. It's because of our sinful nature. And because God has given us an opportunity to get away from that sinful nature. Is that why we're sitting here today? Or are we just going through the motions? I don't need to be forgave for my sin. It's already been taken care of. Folks, we continue to sin. It is an ongoing act. And we need to seek his guidance in order to get away from that. So again, Paul encourages them by telling them he is not ashamed of the gospel and it's for the power of God for everyone who believes and listens. And when Paul says everyone, he doesn't mean those he was speaking to in Rome. He means everyone. And today he focuses on why people need this gospel. And the reason is sin. We need the gospel because of sin. And here he says that God not only hates sin, but he also hates sin's progression and all of its effects. Sin is like a bad weed that never stands still and it's continually growing and it's always destructive. The problem with sin is that the human heart is not strong enough to endure its destructive control. In fact, without the redeeming, regenerate work of Jesus Christ, the heart is corrupted with sin at its very core, which is why the prophet Jeremiah says in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Someone said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Now listen carefully. We don't sin and then become sinners. But we sin because we are sinners. We were all born into sin and we all inherited the sin nature from our parents who got it from theirs all the way back to Adam and Eve. We were doomed from the start. But there's good news. We don't have to live in that sin. We don't have to continue like that weed growing in that sin. God removes it from us. And he did that with the act of sending his son. So what do we do? So we know that we sin and because we are sinners. We're all born in sin. We've inherited that sin from generation to generation. So what do we need to do? We need to start over again. And what Paul means by that is we need to be born again. We need to acknowledge our sin and guilt, to turn from ourself and our selfish ways, and we need to surrender to Jesus Christ who died to save us. This is the only, underline that, only way for salvation. Somebody, I was looking through a, um, 
particular book I was reading, and someone wrote a list, and you guys are familiar with David Letterman's top ten list, those who have seen late night TV. Well, here's sins, ten deceptions. This is a list of ten, all right? Number one, you're not as sinful as the Bible says you are. As a matter of fact, you're better than most people. Number two, God's view of sin is unreasonable, and I think you'll be able to explain your position enough to satisfy Him. Number three, you don't really sin. You don't get angry. You're just frustrated. You didn't commit adultery. You had a loving, mutual, beneficial relationship. You don't lie. You just stretch the truth a little. Number four, sin doesn't matter as long as nobody knows about it. That's where we stand, don't we, with individuals. Most people you walk up to, how are you doing? Fine. I'm okay. I'm getting through. I'm here. But we, do we truly know where they stand? And shame on us because we don't ask. How can we do God's work if we don't speak? If we don't communicate? If we don't do the work God is trying to do within you? We're holding him back. Number five. Since everyone else is doing it, it's no big deal. Most of us heard this all throughout our teenage years, right? Oh, he's doing it, so I guess I can do it too. It's all right. Number six. You've been committing this sin for so long, no one would expect different from you. It's just who you are. Don't fall into that trap. You can change because God said you can change. But it's only through Him that can happen. We cannot suppress Him and hide that sin is not in our lives because we know very well sin is a part of our lives. Number seven, this little sin is something that satisfies you and makes you happy. And doesn't God really want you to be happy? <laughs> That's the devil speaking if, if, if I've ever heard it. God wants you to be happy, so why not do the things that make you happy? Well, it's not hurting anybody. Go ahead. Do it. Number eight. It's all right as long as you don't get caught. Is it? Number nine, God is forgiving, and when you get to the pearly gates, he's just going to be glad to see you and say, come on in. I can get there through my good deeds. All right, if I do more good than bad, that should count, right? People are missing the point. There's only one way to salvation, and that's knowing and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not something that happens by osmosis because you're sitting in a pew or your mom and dad or grandfather or grandmother were Christians in a church. This is not something that is passed down to you. However, sin is. So there's something that needs to be done. This is not a thing where if I'm good enough, maybe some of my goodness will spread to others, take care of them. I can't have the relationship for you. This is something that you choose, that God has called for you and you alone. There has to be a personal relationship. That doesn't mean that I pray to God during dinner time so he can bless the food. Or I get called upon in Bible study to pray. This is taking time out of what we call 
our time and we give it to the Lord. We're in conversation. And not only that, not only are we speaking to him, but we need to listen. We need to listen to what God is saying. Number 10. The only problem we have is after you sin, you hear the words of Satan who says, you've really messed up. And do you really think God's going to forgive you now? That is a huge device of the devil. Makes you feel guilty for the things that God already knows and has already forgiven you for. God loves us in spite of our sin. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. So sin is not a question when we meet God. It's a matter of what we did, like I talked about a couple weeks ago. It's what we do with what we've been given. Not everybody is in the same boat. But through God and realizing His gift to you and your purpose with that gift, that's where the difference is made. Now, as we read through this section which deals with so much sin, it should make us wonder, if this is Paul's letter of introduction and he's greeting people that he's never met before, why is he preaching so hard on sin and, and, and all of its perversions? Is that how you would open up to speak to somebody? Hi, my name's Bill and you're a sinner. You want to know about Jesus Christ? Why was he so adamant about preaching to the people about sin? The answer is very simple. He was writing to believers living in one of the most perverted and wicked cultures of the ancient world. Not only did the Romans indulge in, in every kind of sin of imaginable, they claimed that everyone has the right to do whatever they want, with whoever they want and whenever they want. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? But first, I want you to see the reason God is angry. I want you to see why God is angry. Verses 18 and 19. These two verses tell us that God is extremely angry with humanity. And although I believe that the full extent of his anger will be unleashed on the world as the later days as described in the book of Revelation. I think we're seeing even some uh, evidence now of those things. And I think most people are turning a blind eye to it. And that's dangerous. Jesus discusses the events of the last days in Matthew 24. Mark 13 and Luke 21. And here he tells us that there will be wars and rumors of wars. We need only to look at the Middle East and see the current conflict over uh, Israel's claiming control of Judea and Samaria. We know that trouble is brewing there. And then there's the current issues with China and all the little things that keep popping up everywhere that lead to an outbreak of hostilities. There are many devices out there that are causing people to turn on one another. And it's happening within the churches too. They're trying to break us up. But we can't let them. We will not stand for that. We know this. God has called us to be here. But not just here. He calls us to go there. To out there to the wars. Out to the places where we know we're going to get beat up. But we got to be like Paul. We have to understand the situation and go and do it anyway. To the glory of God. 
It also mentions earthquakes. And there have been an increase in earthquake, uh, earthquake activity, as you've noticed. A couple months ago, we had 33 in one day here in California and Nevada. These are things that have been foretold. How about the unpredictable weather patterns that have resulted in massive flooding, the increase of typhoons, hurricanes, all these things? They're not by coincidence. It's not by coincidence. God is revealing these things. God's wrath will be shown upon this world. That's a given. What's not a given is those that we reach. Because you have a choice. We can continue to live in sin. We can continue to hide from the problem itself, which is sin. Or we can allow God to infiltrate that, to get beyond ourselves and reach those who he wants to reach. We've heard about the armies of locusts that are causing food shortages and crop damage like people have never seen before. There's a video on YouTube. And I think it was in... Oh, I really don't remember where, but I think, I think it was in Iran. But there was this herd or swarm of locusts and they would go up in the sky and it would cover the sun. And they couldn't see. It got dark. And then it, then it shows them going down into this farmer's field and it ate all the vegetation within 30 seconds. Within 30 seconds, his whole crop was gone. How about the African swine fever, which there's no vaccine or cure? And it's killing pigs all over the world at a staggering rate. Did you know about this? Those of you bacon lovers better pay attention. It's happening. All of this is just the beginning. All of this is just the beginning of the wrath of God. And yet, many hear this. They see this and they ask, why is God so angry? Why is God angry? I have the answer. Look in the mirror. Look at ourselves. We need to fix ourselves. But here's the bad news. We can't fix it ourselves. But the good news is God has provided an answer for that. God has already provided that way for us to dispel that part of our lives. And when we truly come to know Christ, it's an automatic thing. You should want to live without sin. Not continue to live in it. If God has truly worked within you, that sin should be no more. Now, are there going to be temptations? Of course. Are there going to be times where we really mess it up? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean he's done with us. God can continue to work within you because he has promised this. God already knows where we stand. You can't hide from him. The current sin that's in your life, he knows about it. But he still loves us in spite of that. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, God still loves us. It's the godless attitude that produces our wicked actions. And that's why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against man. Godlessness doesn't mean these people don't believe in God. What it means is they, they just act as though God doesn't exist. And the result of that is they don't expect him to react. God is going to react. Mark my words. He is going to react. 
Paul was writing to the church at Rome, and the city can only be described as a cesspool of sin. And we know many areas in this country that can be described as that. But the men of Rome always conveyed a masculine uh, uh, mentality, and that meant they always had to be in absolute charge of every relationship. They had to take charge. Ben, we're, we're very familiar with that. We like to take charge. We like to be in control. Then we get married, and then we realize we never really had it to begin with. Right? And as Paul says, God's wrath is against all this ungodliness and unrighteousness. Listen, this is very important. Ungodliness means we are living in disobedience to God. And the result is that we become unrighteousness. We're, uh, we're unrighteous. So one is the root and other is the fruit. The farther we get from God, the worse we'll be. And here's the strange part. Ungodly people live as though God doesn't exist and some of them can live very respectable lives. They can be friendly. They can be courteous, helpful, great neighbors, co-workers. They may even attend church. But the very thought of God never enters their mind. They are not wicked people, but they are ungodly. Paul goes on to say that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's not bad enough that people ignore the obvious demonstrations of the wrath of God, but they suppress it. I don't know how many times I've heard non-Christians say, well, we see homosexuality condemned in the Old Testament because these people didn't know any better. And in the, the New Testament, it's only found in Paul's writings, and it's obvious that he had some hang-ups. But when we see the words of Jesus... He never really mentions it. This is how they justify this. Because Jesus didn't say it outright, it must be okay. The problem with these arguments is that there is no logic, and they present their position as a fact while ignoring what Jesus really did have to say. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then there are no longer two, but one flesh. In these verses, Jesus is speaking about the intention of God from the beginning of creation. And he says he made them male and female, and for this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, so those two may become one. And keep in mind that Jesus was speaking at a time when Rome was filled with these kind of people. This act was rampant within Rome. So it wasn't like he was oblivious to the history or even the current practice of homosexuality. He said, this is God's intention, and logic says that anything that's contrary to God's will is sin. Anything contrary to God's will is sin. But the world would tell you otherwise. It's okay. Maybe nobody knows about it, so it's not hurting anybody. But you see, a little later... He was discussing the issue of divorce. And when his disciples got together, they said, well, maybe it's better not to marry and, you know, maybe we'll stay single. Some guys are like, yeah, that might be great. It's not. Verse 11. All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it had been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from the mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Let me explain. First, there are those who have 
birth defects. And they could be physical or even psychological. But for some reason, there are people who are incapable of marriage. Second, there are some who have been rendered incapable by having their particular organs of the body castrated from them. And this was very common among those who were captured in battle and then taken back to be used as slaves. We see this in the Old Testament when men such as Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then in the New Testament, we have the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Some were born this way, others were made that way. And there's also a third, as Jesus said, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, I don't think this refers to physical mutation, but some people have made a choice to avoid this because they feel they can be better used by God when they are single. So Paul describes these people by saying they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, which means they have ignored anything and everything that's considered to be wrong because it doesn't fit in with their philosophy or with their lifestyle. How are we any different than they were? Talk about history repeating itself. In other words, they're avoiding the obvious here. God has revealed himself in creation and throughout nature. And on top of that, everyone has a moral code built into them, which is stealing, lying, murder, and all sorts of sins, which we know are condemning. Our sense of right and wrong is a testimony to the very existence of God. When people claim that God is dead, how is that even possible? God is alive. And he is still in business. He's in business because we're sinners. He's in business because he loves what he created. He has interest in you. He has an investment in you. Paul then says they can see the truth about God, but choose to ignore it. They saw it in creation, in their conscience, in Jesus Christ, in the word of God, if they wished to read it. Everyone has a phone these days. Those of you who don't, I applaud you. I don't know how you do it. Most of us have phones, right? And these days, anyone can download a copy of scriptures for free. I've got about, I don't know, 27 different Bible apps. Most were free. But what I'm really trying to say here is, just like they try to make an excuse, we make excuses too. But it is readily available to you. God presents himself through technology. God presents himself through interaction with one another. God gets around these loopholes that man creates because he's God and he can do it. And I'm thankful that he does it because we know that we can choose to see the truth about God or we can choose to ignore it. The truth is obvious, but to obey the truth means we have to repent of our sin and allow ourselves to be transformed by the power of God. And when that happens, the scripture says we are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We are born again and will want to live for God the way that we lived for ourselves. The same passion that we had to do the things that we love to do, when we come to know Christ, we should have the same, if not greater, passion to do the things for Him. In Paul's day, the Romans hated the Christians and considered them to be outsiders. They thought they were all traitors and dangerous to their way of life. They considered them to be a threat to destabilize Roman society. 
No wonder that they were constantly ridiculed and persecuted. No wonder, still to this day, we are persecuted, made fun of, made a mockery of, called hypocrites. Friedrich Nitschke of the philosopher said of Christians, look at whom they worship. Look at this God whom they worship. How foolish and imbecilic to follow one who died and then claim that the death was victory. There is foolishness and there is foolishness. There is madness and there is madness. But to call death victory is the ultimate madness of all. This is a pathetic deity and he is followed by a pathetic people. Well, Nitschke is dead. I wonder if he's changed his opinion. So God's wrath is revealed. And the reason is he's been ignored even through his presence is obvious. And then in verses 20 and 20 through 22, we see the first consequence of their unwillful belief. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Because Because people willfully turn their backs on God and all that he stood for, he has poured out a series of judgments that changed the very nature of those who had been created in his image. Men will lose their manliness. Women will lose their feminine nature. But listen, this is not the judgment at the end of time. But these are judgments on those who openly ignore both God and his word. And these judgments begin like we just read in verses 20 through 23. Verse 20 says they have openly defied logic by denying God's existence. So in other words, their foolish hearts have been darkened. Those who refuse to see lose the capacity to see. By suppressing the truth of God and believing their lies, they plunge their hearts even deeper into that darkness. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Man who thinks he's smarter than God himself can come up with some of the craziest philosophies imaginable. And it's gone from feeding babies to the fire gods in the Old Testament, to the big business of aborting them today. This is nothing new. None of this presented this morning is new. It is a continual thing that has happened from age to age. We are acting like that weed We keep coming back. And we're not coming back better. We're coming back the same. The same nuisance. But praise be to God that he forgives us. Praise be to God that he overlooks those things in our lives. And that he forgives us for those past, present, and future sins. Thanks be to his son who willfully has that relationship with us. So on that day of destiny, when we are called home, we can stand before the Lord and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We spend all of our lives working to buy things we don't need with money we don't have, to impress people we don't even like. Would you agree with that? And if you don't believe me, just go for a walk. Look in people's garages. 
Many of them have so much junk, they have to park their cars on the driveway. Or you're like me at home that's so full of boxes you can't get the cars in. Yes, honey, I'll be doing that this week. But all of us are, are guilty of the same to one degree or another. We stand looking at a closet full of clothes and say, I don't have a thing to wear. Many of us drive a relatively new car, but we're thinking about getting a new one because the new car looks better. Someone, in, someone so wisely said, trying to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy your hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. There's an image for you. And yet, we can be bored to death by the same old, same old, and every year we spend more and more money to keep ourselves entertained. And this has produced all kinds of things like new phones, laptops, gadgets, TV shows. I can go on and on and on. But we're creating these things because we're trying to avoid what's right in front of our face. We're not admitting to ourselves that the problem is not we're not entertained. It's that sin is glaring us in the face and God is saying, turn from your sin. Don't create more because the cost of sin is more sin. The cost of sin is more sin. We have all the basic things But we take it for granted. Food, electricity, shelter, clothing, fresh water. We no longer have to hunt or fish or even risk our health by eating raw meat. Some of us do that anyways because we like it. But we don't have to. I like how someone said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology... God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But you see, our greatest need was forgiveness. So he sent us a savior. And because the people in these verses turned from God... Therefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanness and the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The word, therefore, tells us that based on what he, what he just did, God is going to introduce judgment. Three times in this chapter, it says God gave them over. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. And in each case, he gave them over to the sin they were involved in. And this simply means he allowed them to have the thing that they wanted. Despite knowing what's good for us, he gave us what we wanted. Who loves you more than God? Because God is our Father, and He acts like our Father. And sometimes we need to be taught a lesson. Sometimes we need to be taught a lesson. Verses 26 and 27. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what was against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman... Burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. When he speaks about the natural use, he's referring to the act of sexual intercourse. And he's saying these women with other women and doing what's unnatural. And this simply means they're doing something that is contrary to God's will. And we know the penalty for that error. We know the penalty for that error. So, What do we do with all this? This is not a happy-go-lucky portion of Romans. They like to call this the spiral. 
But sin is important to talk about because we need to be open about our sin. We need to bring it to the surface. We cannot hide it from anyone. God will seek us out. I don't know about you, but I know in the past when I'm harboring some sort of sinful thought, desire, God presents an opportunity for me to turn from that. Is there temptation? Oh, you bet there is. But God has always been good. And God has always provided an opportunity to turn from that. And so we need to listen. We need to listen to what he says. We need to listen to what Paul says about this. Because it's applicable to every single person sitting in this room. There are people who knew the word of God and its warnings and those who do these things that are worthy of death. But they not only do these things themselves, but also give their approval to anyone who follows their example. That's how they justify it. I did it and it's okay. So you go ahead and do it too. You know the overused phrase, if Johnny jump, j- jumps off the bridge, are you going to do it too? Most people, logic tells you, of of course not. But so many individuals will say, well, yeah, Johnny did it, so it must be okay. Makes me feel better about my desires. There are a lot of famous men and women who have missed the boat on this. H.G. Wells was a well-known historian and philosopher, and he said at age 61, I have no peace. All life is at the end of the tether. The poet Byron said, My days are in yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of life are gone. The worm and the canker and the grief are mine alone. The literary genius Thoreau said, Most men live lives of quiet desperation. I realize that this portion of Scripture is filled with bad news. Those who are lost are condemned, and they seem to get worse as time goes by, and yet, God holds out forgiveness who is willing to accept Him and accept His Son as their Savior. So if that is you this morning, and you don't know what to do with that sin in your life, God says to take it to him. And if you don't have that personal relationship with him, why not start today? Why not start today? Because I'm going to tell you, all these things are coming to fruition. And we're running out of time. So like I said, we need to strap on those seatbelts and we need to get to work. Because it is our obligation as Christians to not hold fast to the gospel. It is to give it to those who need it. That's the job we've been called to do. That's the job that Paul set out to do. And while it was, it was bleak, he did it anyways because he knew that was what God wanted him to do. And I know Without a doubt, it is what God wants this church to do. So we need to follow Paul's example. We need to acknowledge sin because it's there. It's not going to go away. And it's not going to get any better unless we deal with it. So we need to deal with it. David is going to come and lead us in a song of benediction. And again, I pray... That if you have not made that decision this morning to have Jesus as your personal Savior, I pray you grab one of us and let us talk to you about him. Because there is no greater joy in life than to know that someone of that caliber loves you that much. He cares for you. And he doesn't care what you've done. 
or what you will do. He is there for us and he is ready for you this morning. Dave, lead us. Living for Jesus A life that is true Striving to please Him In all that I do Yielding allegiance Glad-hearted and free This is the pathway A blessing for me O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thine atonement didst give Thyself for me. I own no other master, my heart shall be Thy my life I give henceforth to live for Christ for thee alone. Heavenly Father, be with us as we leave, that your holy indwelling spirit will continue with us as you will provide us opportunities to share the gospel with others. Lord, help us to acknowledge our sin and to know that you have already forgiven it because you love us so much. Lord, I pray as we go to our appointed destinations this afternoon that you will keep us safe. And Lord, we pray for those who could not be with us here today. Lord, we miss them, we love them, and we know that you will be with them. Guide us through our walk, Lord, and in all things we say and do, let it be an honor to you. And it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.